for most of you, and I'm not just talking about our confirmant here at this service, um, for others of you too, most of you it happened when you were a baby. For some of you, including our confirmant, I've seen the picture, it happened right here at Gloria Day Lutheran Church. For some of you here, it happened at First English Lutheran Church, which stood on this lot uh, for over 100 years prior to Gloria Day and then birthed Gloria Day. But for most of you, there was that day when somebody somewhere loved you enough and loved God enough to bring you to the waters of baptism. The Bible says that everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Most of you, of course, including our confirmand at this service, most of you were infants, not old enough to believe on the day you were baptized. And so some will say, and have said to me, well then yeah, hey, what about that? Um, shouldn't we wait to baptize someone until they're old enough to believe and they kind of decide for themselves about being baptized? And I have, over the years, baptized uh, adults who had not been baptized and infants, and they were old enough now and decided for themselves that that was something they wanted, that was great. I hope to do a few more of those baptisms before I uh, am done baptizing. But Lutherans are just among the majority of Christians in the world who say, though, that there's no reason to wait until someone's older in order to baptize them. In fact, Lutherans probably say that as boldly as anyone, because Lutherans are people who come from our Reformation heritage of bold, 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 <coughs> bold witness to God's grace. Grace is the word the Bible uses to talk about gifts that are given rather than rewards that are rewarded. And in the whole world of all religions, Biblical Christianity says something really quite unique, and that is that we are saved by grace. Many other religions in the world certainly have good things about them, to be sure, and yet virtually all other religions in the world, in one way or another, are pretty much kind of an instruction manual about what you need to do, what you need to do, in order to earn your way or reach your way all the way to God. Christianity, on the other hand, at its boldly biblical best, and surely therefore at its boldly Lutheran best too, proclaims what God in Christ has done to reach all the way to you. Including reaching to you right where you were, and sometimes that was far from your best. A God whose love for us is only to be found on our good days and in our best moments is not the God Christians worship. As Paul put it in that reading from Romans, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified. That means straightened up like a justified margins. They are straightened up in their relationship with God by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. That is a whole mouthful of way complicated sounding Bible words, which at the end of the day are really just saying pretty much this. Not because of any good you've done, 
But even though you've done the sinning you've done, my goodness, are you ever loved. And the love you are loved with is forgiving love. And the one you are loved and forgiven by is God. And if some days you have trouble believing that, then take a look in the direction of Jesus, who on that cross showed God's forgiving love for you all the way to death and hell and back. We're not saved as a reward for what we've done. We're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for us. God's, in other words, God doesn't ask you to turn into something acceptable before accepting you. God doesn't ask you to make the honor roll, spiritually speaking, before writing your name on heaven's rolls. God doesn't ask you to prove varsity level skills before coming to you and saying, you are on my team. And I am not talking about riding the bench. Confirmation Sunday is a day when we claim our place as adults on the team that is Christ's church. Reformation Sunday, which today also is, is the day when we recall and claim our place in that Reformation movement that began now 502 years ago this week when that man named Martin Luther, a German monk and priest and university professor, stood up to the church in his time to say, people, wait just a darn minute because I have been reading the Bible. And the church, we the church, have drifted off course from the main thing it says in the Bible. And the main thing it says in the Bible that Luther was talking about was grace. The goodness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and finally even the heaven of God as absolutely free of charge gifts that we did nothing to merit. In Luther's time, the drifting off course away from grace had gotten so bad that, among other things, there was a fundraising drive going on for a new church building <clears throat> that the Pope wanted to build in Rome, and the preacher in charge of the German arm of the fundraising capital appeal, a priest by the name of Tetzel, was traveling through Luther's parish in Germany, preaching a sermon to the effect that if you gave money for the building project, then your sins would be forgiven. And if you gave more money, then, then you had more sins forgiven. And you get papers signed by the Pope, these were called indulgences, that, that promised this forgiveness of you. And if you gave even more money, now this is a good deal, you could even get the sins of other people forgiven, including your loved ones, who right now were in this place called purgatory, and they were suffering for their sins, and who right now, Tetzel would say, they're pleading. If he was preaching right now, he would say, Roger, can you hear them? They're saying, Roger, Roger, give more money to the building program so we can get out of this awful place and go to heaven. I'm not making this up. Nor am I making up the fact that when Luther, who had been studying the Bible, and, and had come to see that its theme above all themes is God's grace. When he heard this, he blew up. You, you, you say you can, for crying out loud, what, he said? You can buy your way into heaven and buy others, people's way into heaven and into God's love? He said, well, that may be very effective fundraising, he said, but it's not in the Bible. 
And I know that for sure because, because I've read the Bible and that nonsense, Luther would use strong words, that nonsense you are vomiting isn't in it. Besides, he said, remember, he was still a Roman Catholic at this time. And besides, remember also, we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church of 500 years ago. There have been changes. Besides, he said, the Pope has no jurisdiction over purgatory. And he said, even if the Pope does, you know what? He should empty the whole place free of charge. Because why? Because Luther boldly reminded the church that the Bible says we are justified. We are lined up straight in our relationship with God now and forever by grace. That is by not what we do or what we give, but rather by faith in Jesus and what he has freely done and gives for us. Which takes us back to that day when somewhere, maybe here, if you're our confirmant, maybe elsewhere, for some of you, you were baptized. And most of you were babies then, right? And you were, um, I wasn't there, but I just know this, although I've seen pictures. You were so darn cute then. <laughs> and you didn't do anything that day. You were too tiny, you couldn't uh, do anything that day to earn the gift. In fact, here's a little secret I know about, I'm sure this is true, Mason. When you were baptized, your parents brought you up front right here. One of their highest hopes is that you wouldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that you would just lie there all cute and take it. I want to know one of my favorite things about baptizing infants. There is no moment ever when grace is clearer or more graceful than it is when you pour the eternal promises of Almighty God on a baby who not only couldn't yet believe, but who couldn't have even have gotten to the font without it being being carried in someone else's arms. And so those who loved God and loved you did that. They brought you to the waters of baptism in their arms, including the arms of their faith. They, that day, because you couldn't, and this is true for all of us who are baptized as infants, those who brought us there that day believed for us. And for years after that day, as faith did the things faith does in life, in most cases, that was their doing too, right? If you went to church on a Sunday morning, it's because they brought you. If you went to Sunday school, it's because they sent you, maybe even went with you. If you prayed bedtime or mealtime prayers, it's because they taught you. And when you got a little older, and if you were maybe, you know, confirmation age and maybe a little bit like me, um, maybe some of the things that faith did once in a while in your life were because they made you. Anybody relate? At some point, hopefully you came to understand that they also, and they also understood that in their encouraging and supporting and sometimes maybe even insisting, what they were really doing is keeping the promise they had made back on that day 
when they brought you to the waters of baptism. For you weren't yet a believer then. You couldn't be a believer then. And so they promised to raise you up in the direction of believing. And those other folks, those church folks who were also there that day and witnessed your baptism, some of you, I'm sure, witnessed Mason's baptism. But all of you who were there promised on behalf of even all of us who weren't there, promised to help your parents raise you in the direction of faith. Some of them kept those promises by praying for you. Some of those kept those promises by teaching Sunday school classes when you were in the class. As did God's Holy Spirit, who was there that day as well, poured out upon you in the waters of baptism, and who even without a pause, right then and there, and has never stopped, and, and, and never will stop, calling you, prodding you, leading you, tugging you, wooing you in the direction of faith. The result of it all is that now here at this service, here's Mason to be confirmed in the faith through what is technically known as the rite of affirmation of baptism. Here publicly as now an adult in the church and with the church to add the faith that is yours here and now to the faith of the church by adding your public yes today to the God of grace who in the waters of baptism said yes to you first. For some I've confirmed over the years, maybe for some of you, this was the most powerful spiritual moment they ever had. For others I've confirmed over the years it was just something they did because it's what we do. For most I've confirmed over the years, I imagine the honest to God truth is that they, and I don't know, perhaps some of you can relate to this, um, when they stood to be confirmed, they stood somewhere between those two extremes. Most over those years, in other words, and, and now maybe, maybe you, Mason, uh, did believe, do believe, uh, at least are pretty sure you believe, although sometimes you wonder things. And then you think, gosh, do I really believe if sometimes I wonder things? I want to know something for some of us. This is certainly true about my journey. For some of us, wondering things is, is, is part of the way that we get where we're going. And it's not a bad thing at all. You want to know something else? The God you affirm your faith in today is still our God of grace. And as such, God's interest today and always for all of us is always to meet you right where you are rather than meeting you at some faith place where you think you should be. For just as was the case the day you were baptized, so too now, on this day when you, Mason, affirm your baptism, there is our God of grace, who is saying, oh, my child, uh, don't try to be something you think you're supposed to be. I love you right where you are. But you want to know something else, God says, and, and by the way, this is what the rest of your life is for. You want to know something else, God says? Even clear back before you were baptized, clear back when I knit you together in your mother's womb, I've also loved the you that I know you can be 
wrapped in the arms of my love. So how about you and I, God says, from this day forward, how about we keep on walking in the direction of the you I know you can be together. Because why? Because not so that then you will at last be loved. Child of God, deal with it. You are loved whether you want to be or not. But the love you are loved with is love God wants to grow you in for the sake of God's love for not just you, but for the whole world. For God, it turns out, doesn't need your good works or your generous acts. But God's world does. Which is why God, when God from this day forward does keep walking with you in the direction of the you God knows you can be, God most often won't open your eyes to any good or generous deed that God personally needs from you. God will open your eyes to the good you've got in, in you to give for the needs and the goods of others. Follow that lead, and let me tell you one last thing. Somehow, someway, somewhere, this world, or at least a corner of it, is going to be a better place than it would have been if God hadn't a few years back said to God's self, I've got a great idea. And the idea was you. Today you say in whatever way you are able at this particular moment, I believe in God. Years ago and still today, right where you are, is God saying, I believe in you. And God says, I believe in the difference that you and I can make playing on the same team.